Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 today. Uh, We come to Paul's second prayer in his letter to the church in Ephesus. His first prayer in Ephesians was found in chapter 1. One of the things you can do in regards to finding out more about a person and learning more about that person is listening to how they pray and what they pray about. And just as you can tell a lot about a person's values based on what they use their time on or their money on, you can also tell a lot about a person by what they talk about. And that's essentially what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking with God. So whether that is prayer, time, money, all of those things tell us a lot about what people think most about, what they value most, where they are emotionally, and whose will they are about. In verse 14, we find this phrase, for this reason, for the third time in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul wrote, for this reason. But he didn't complete his thought until we reach here in verse 14 to complete his thought from verse 1. When we got to verses 2 through 13, he headed off to these really important thoughts, which we looked at in the past few weeks. But here we are with what Paul started with back in verse 1, and the reasoning was found in chapters 1 and 2. And so we can summarize this reasoning with being members of the household of God. That we are in God's family. We are people who heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 13. We have been given the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Chapter 1, verse 17. So that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. We belong to God's family. While living in this world, we keep in mind that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of the household of God, and we have siblings all over the globe with different cultures, races, ethnicities, and political thoughts. But we are united in Christ. And this is a really amazing phenomenon in Christianity, that all of these differences that everyone has around the globe, but then Christ unites us. And this marvelous unity, peacemaking, is the reason Paul starts writing about chapter 3, verse 1, and begins completing his thought in verse 14. And so let's take a look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. After Paul shared with them the truth of who they are in Christ, he began to pray that they would live out this reality. And Paul prays this prayer of intercession. He informs them of living in the realities of Christ, and then prays for them about it. Now, why does Paul do this? Because Paul realizes that this is a work of God, that this is a divine work. Take a look at Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we don't put any effort into our relationship with God or with one another and in building the kingdom. Because we do. Of course we do that. But ultimately, we trust God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We still plant. We still water. We still put forth effort. But God is the one we ultimately trust. And Jesus does this with his own disciples. Jesus gives much instruction to his disciples, and then Jesus prayed for them. And we can see where Jesus' priorities are based on his prayers, just as we can see our own priorities in how we pray. So we must think, who do we pray to? What do we pray for? How often do we pray? When do we pray? Why do we pray? Jesus, the greatest person to ever live, prayed. That should tell us something. How about us? And prayer is so challenging. It's one of the most difficult things to do. Think about this. You can do almost anything you want to for an hour. But try praying for an hour. It's so hard. And in order to get the most out of worship, out of a sermon, out of serving God, we need to pray. Paul writes these wonderful three chapters we've looked at so far, and it begins with prayer in chapter 1, it ends with prayer in chapter 3, just in this section. And this second prayer is one of intercession. Take a look at this. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. People can tell a lot about us by listening to us pray. Do you tend to pray mostly for yourself or do you pray for others? And so next time you pray, take note of this. Are your prayers more for yourself or are they more for others? And that'll tell you where your priorities are. Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. And you notice what he didn't pray for. He didn't pray for a better situation. Even though he wrote this letter from prison and prayed for them from prison. And he didn't pray to be freed from prison. Paul prayed and he wrote a number of letters to the church from prison. He wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Uh, we've covered all of those letters except Ephesians, which we're doing now. And some of you may be wondering, you know, you're kind of locked up at home. And so how do you serve during this time of COVID? And one of the things that we can all do is pray. And then God will lead you as to what to do next. But we can all individually and as a church pray. We have so much planting to do and so much watering to do. But we definitely need to pray for God to do the ultimate work. 
One of the things that's happening at our church is we are expanding our ministry to the homeless community. And this is happening by us significantly investing some time and effort into providing more food towards the homeless community through our partnership with City Team. And this wasn't just something that happened, but there was much prayer that was fueling this. Actually, everything that has happened from our church has come from prayer. Our very existence is because of prayer. I wouldn't say that we're all that talented and gifted to be around for 20 years of ministry here in Oakland. And I'm guessing by now that I've preached over a thousand sermons, which means that it's over 500 hours of me preaching. I have a hard time thinking that anyone would want to listen to me preach for over 500 hours. My mother, who argues that she loves me the most out of anyone else on this planet, has only listened to me preach for maybe 10 hours. But only by prayers is there even a preaching ministry at Regeneration. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This phrase, every family in heaven and on earth, speaking of the entire family of God for all time. Now imagine all the possible divisions there. But all that diversity united in Christ. All of us under the family of God. Now back to this thought of what Paul did not pray. You notice he didn't pray for material things. Now it doesn't mean that he never prayed for material things because we know in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 he wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. But how much do we pray for material matters more than spiritual matters? How much do we pray about provision, marriage or singleness, or children, circumstances, health, all of which are mentioned not in this prayer? And let's just take health as an example since this is a prayer that is very prominent during our time of COVID. Because where in the Bible do we read of praying for health. It's hardly mentioned, rarely mentioned. And so we need to ask ourselves why we pray for that so much. Now part of it is probably because people want to keep living here and, and holding on to what we have here. Well, what does that really say about our belief in God's promises? What do we have in Christ? Take a look back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to skip down to verse 19. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are alive together with Christ. We are members of the household of God. And these are the everlasting promises that never end. 
And we are also promised a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness and justice rule. So why are we so consumed with the world of today? Something I've been convicted of while studying these verses was my own prayer life. That the word of God was convicting me of this because maybe you're like me in prayers where you pray something like this, Lord, be with so-and-so as he goes into surgery or be with so-and-so as she goes into court. Thank God he's so merciful and gracious, patient and long-suffering with me because I was convicted with, why do you pray that? Why do you pray that? Because isn't Christ already with his children? In fact, if you looked at, look at the very last sentence in, in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. But yet we still pray that little phrase of, Lord, please be with so-and-so. Now take a look at Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah was informed about the state of Jerusalem. That those who survived the exile are in great trouble and they are in great shame. That the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down and the gates destroyed by fire. And so take a look at Nehemiah's prayer. How does he pray? Does he pray, God, be with those who survived the exile? Not really. What, what does he do and what does he pray? Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Why does Nehemiah pray that? Because what happened in Jerusalem happened to their very hearts. And that was the real problem. It wasn't just the state of Jerusalem that needed repair. It was the state of their hearts. Jerusalem was an indication of the spiritual brokenness of God's people. And Nehemiah prayed for what really mattered because the people have been blinded to what really happened. What are the things that are happening around us today that have us blinded to the spiritual condition that we are in? What is the matter that really needs to be addressed with us? Let's take a, another example to look at in Daniel. Look at Daniel. Daniel is faced with this tremendous evil. His people are suffering greatly. What does he do and what does he pray? Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. What are we doing? What are we praying? And I've been convicted of my own actions and my own prayers, that sometimes they are short-sighted, narrow-minded, focused on the temporary, just like many of the actions and prayers of maybe some of you. How often we pray for the circumstances of today and not on what's everlasting when our deepest and real needs are spiritual. And it's not that the material doesn't matter, it's how we look at them in light of Jesus. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Skip down to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The deepest and real need is spiritual. What are we preoccupied with? Is it spiritual? Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What was Paul praying for in chapter 3? And it's a couple of things. The first one is found in verses 16 through 17. It's a, it's a prayer for the strengthening of the inner being through the Spirit. And the second thing he prayed for is found in verses 18 and 19. And that prayer is to comprehend the love of Christ. So let's first take a look at verses 16 and 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, quick reminder, 
that Paul in his letters was addressing believers in Christ, that this isn't some universal saying that he's issuing to everyone. Right? Quick reminder, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly places. So these words are for those who believe and trust Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. So with that quick reminder, where is this strengthening of the inner being coming from for us? You look back to the verse in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. Now what is glory? Glory is the essence, it is the summation of all that God has revealed to us about himself that our limited minds can comprehend. So when we hear of God's power, love, wisdom, knowledge, holiness, truth, righteousness, justice, majesty, purity, self-existence, among the many other characteristics of God, to realize that it's God who is outside of us, outside of the material, time, his own creation, who controls all things and reveals himself in glory, that he is the source where that strengthening of the inner being comes from, from God who is limitless, boundless, infinite. To know who God is is so important because it carries over into everything else. Many times we focus on the how and the what rather than who. Who, our who is abundant, capable. And yet we tend to focus on how we do things or what we can do when we are so limited we're so incapable. As believers in Christ, we have access according to the riches of His glory. But how many times do we not tap into that power and we go into other sources? Now how do we tap into that power? We are strengthened with power through His Spirit. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sins, gives us understanding of His Word, convinces us of our need for Jesus Christ, creates in us faith in Christ, and we are given the Holy Spirit as our inheritance. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God is so generous to us. He gives us exactly what we need, and we need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're so easily drawn away. We're so prone to wander away from God. There are things internally that pull us away from God, like, like depression. 
And there are things externally that lure us away from God like temptations. And there are always these things that are just tugging at us, moving us away from God. And all of those thoughts and those appetites we have that only we know we have at any given time, but thank God we have the Holy Spirit who is always with us in your inner being. What is this inner being? It's the real you. Your heart, your will, your soul. Your outer being is, is your body. And it's deteriorating. Ten years from now, it's going to be different. And your inner being can be renewed day by day. And yet our world is so consumed with the outer being. How we look, what we have, how much money we have, our jobs, our identity, what we wear, what we eat, our education, all of these fleeting things that all die with your body. But your inner being is where there is everlasting significance. The inner being is renewed through prayer, worship, fellowship, the preaching and teaching of God's word, sacraments such as communion and baptism. And it should be of no surprise when there isn't a strengthening with power through the Holy Spirit when the very things that renew the inner being are being neglected. Sometimes we're waiting for God to move us to do what will renew our inner being. When God is waiting for us to stop neglecting what would give us strengthening to our inner being. That inner being, that real you, that is everlasting. And all of this points to a purpose. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in Love. There's this really important word in there, dwell. Dwell. And it's not a temporary residence. Our hearts are meant to be a permanent dwelling place with Christ. Rooted and grounded in love. And this context enables us to go on to verses 18 and 19. To have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer to comprehend the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, which applied to that early church in Ephesus that experienced a lot of division amongst them because there were these Gentile Christians and these Jewish Christians. There were divisions among them for ages, for generations, culturally, racially, ethnically, politically, and they all came to know Jesus Christ. A lot of the things in their past prevented them from uniting right away, just like us. There are things in our histories that prevent us from uniting with each other right away. And there are things that need to be worked out in our minds and in our hearts to catch up to what Christ has already done in uniting all things to himself. And this is why it's so important for us to go back to verse 17 and realize that it all has to be rooted and grounded in love. 
Take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's given to us. Now, looking back into verse 18, there's this interesting phrase there. It says, with all the saints. And speaking to what we have as individuals in the household of faith, and what we have is to be experienced in the family of God, even though we have all of these differences, so many differences, so despite those differences of culture, race, age, social standing, whatever those differences are, that as we live together in Christ, we'll be able to comprehend the unity and the love we have in Christ, even with those differences. That there are no bounds, whether breadth, length, height, depth, to the love of Christ. Then in verse 19, there's this phrase that can be a little bit confusing. And it reads, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And it's, it's kind of odd because how can you know what surpasses knowledge? Well, our knowledge of Christ can be experienced. And so we can know that, but it can't be fully exhausted, that there is still things to be known. And so there are these dimensions of the love of Christ that are beyond our limited knowledge. And even with all we do know of the love of Christ, there's a lot more, much more. And then lastly, this ending phrase in verse 19, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we become divine, but we do become recipients of all the blessings in Jesus Christ. We are adopted as God's children, and God gives us good gifts as His children. We are given grace, kindness, love, because God chose to. He wasn't forced to. He chose to redeem us. He chose to save us. And we have become heirs. And for us to be filled with the fullness of God by becoming daughters and sons, heirs to the kingdom of God, filled with His Holy Spirit, filled with the presence of God, communing with God for everlasting. As we commune with God, We'll experience this individually. We'll experience this as a church. But in all of this, we need to continue to pray. To pray individually, to pray together for each other. For each other. In and through the work of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... so wise, so loving, and how you have come up with this eternal plan to reconcile us to yourself, that it can be even possible for us to unite in you despite the differences we have. I do pray, Lord, for forgiveness as Undoubtedly, we have taken missteps as a church. 
individually we have done things to wrong others. Lord, please correct those steps leading us to your word as your Holy Spirit is so alive in us. God, help us to forgive one another, extend grace to one another and kindness and love. Help us to be a visible form of forgiveness and reconciliation to the world that has so much division. But within the church, Lord, help them to see your spirit at work. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, if you have your communion elements, let's take communion together. And so first, the bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ. I'm looking forward to a couple weeks from now entering into a time of Lent, remembering the sacrifice Christ made leading up to Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Christ who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, who left us this sacrament as a promise that he's returning for us. But before we partake of this, let's pause and think about our standing with the Lord. Think about how we've been praying and what we've been doing. What we've been doing to each other, how we've been praying for each other or not. But perhaps there is some bitterness or resentment that has harbored within yourself that needs to be resolved, that you need to posture yourself in such a way that you're open to restoring a relationship that may be broken. And so before you partake in that, please deal with that. And if you are ready to partake in communion now, let's do that together now. We have the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us of infinite value. Lord Jesus, we take this in remembrance of you and we look forward to your return. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for extending grace and love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.